Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about gift-based ministry, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is David. And my name is Jared. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Trick. You guys are idiots. <laughs> not, sure if, not sure if any of you uh, long-time listeners could tell the difference there. but uh, Well, you went first like you always do, you selfish little <laughs> creep. So I got to lead the way on this podcast. I think if they knew. I, if I left it up to you, we'd be floundering like a fish out of water. This is David. And this is Jared, as you could tell by Welcome the, back. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we're glad you guys are here with us. Oh, we should also say what's up to all of our YouTube viewers. Hey, five people. <laughs> a man of little faith. Man My of mom, little faith. Your mom, some <laughs> random dude that got lost on YouTube, and our wives. No, no, no not, not our not wives. wives. <laughs> They've not listened to one episode of this podcast. Yeah, my wife has. Oh, well, yeah. she's a better woman, better woman than mine, I guess. Mine hasn't listened to one. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> no. Um, we're uh, we're we're really excited. Last episode we launched, we're now on YouTube. We're doing a video as well. So if yeah. you ever wonder what we look like, or you just uh, are more of a YouTube person instead of audio, you can now check that out as well. We're on the Multiply Podcast. You can search us on YouTube, and we'll also be backloading um, all the old audio episodes onto YouTube as well. So you can listen if that's your thing. Um, Dave, what's going on, man? I am just loving summer, man. My girls are in lacrosse camp this week and uh, we had vacation last week, got away, just got some, we're getting some nice weather up here in the Q's finally, mm. some sunny days and uh, a lot of tan people around. It's been now. good. How's the pool working out for you guys? Been getting plenty of time it's, in there? It's been good. It's been I wouldn't know. quite a pricey, uh, quite wouldn't. a pricey thing for us this year. But what's been going on? Well, a lot of repairs. A lot of repairs. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I feel like we've we've been allowing a, a lot, way too many friends to come over and swim in it. So it's. Uh, I wonder who they are. Breaking down. Yeah. What do you got coming up? What do you got going on? Well, we're excited. We're uh, <clears throat> we got coming up our summer camp. Oh yeah. Teen camp for um, the job that I do. So teenagers um, from all over the state come together and. We'll be hanging out for a week together, and it's a ton of fun. It's I really enjoy. It. You used to lead this camp, and mm-hmm. I was camp manager with you for a few years, and yeah, um, it was, uh, we loved it, man. I think out of all the things that um, I did in that role that you're now in, as far as like actual impact, sustained spiritual impact in the lives of students, camp is really in its own league. Um, the amount of time that leaders get with students, the amount of opportunities they get to hear the scriptures taught and to be in prayer environments it's really unique from even youth convention yeah and um and anything else that you're doing so i'm a fan of camp and and uh, we'll be praying for you next week man thank you thank you it's gonna be a lot of fun hopefully last year at this camp is when i um herniated two discs in my back by trying to do sumo wrestling yeah and i will never be the same again so hopefully i do not have a life-altering injury this year that would be nice. Bro, if you go out there and try to do something physical again, there will be no sympathy for you <laughs> from your wife, from your children, I, I won't. from any of us. I won't. I've spent too many, like, five-day periods in bed not being able to move because of my back. That No, I won't do it again. But we are excited. Have a great camp, bro. Thank you. And we're excited about this podcast today. Yeah, last characteristic of a healthy church. We've gone through nine. Number 10. This is number 10. Number Can't 10. Can't believe we did it. Yeah. So here it is. Let me, let me, let me uh, lay it out. The tenth characteristic of a healthy church. Drum roll, please. 
Gift-based ministry. <laughs> I thought I thought that would sound better. More exciting. <laughs> Gift-based ministry. There we go. Here's Gift-based what it is. Ministry. Let me define it for you. Gift-based ministry is knowing the personalities, passions, and gifts of your leaders in order to position the right person in the right seat. So healthy churches have gift-based ministry mentality. It's knowing the personalities, passions, and gift of your leaders or your people in order to position the right person in the right seat. Of course, that's a metaphor that we borrowed from Jim Collins' uh, iconic book, Good to Great, where he talks about how it's one thing as a team to get the right people on the bus, which is a big deal, right? Yeah. But then once you get the right people on the bus, do you have them in the right seats? And his whole metaphor is the idea that when you're trying to build a healthy team or a healthy organization, one that is productive, effective, and efficient, one of the things that uh, is a major obstacle is people working or serving or volunteering in areas that they simply don't have the skill or the passion for. And I think the church has kind of become a case study in many cases for what it looks like to put people in the wrong spot. And in your experience, I know you've worked, you've worked in a small church, or I should say a smaller church. You worked in a quite large church. What are some of the reasons why churches get this wrong? Well, a couple that come to my mind are, I think, number one, uh, need. So we just, we're quick to fill a need. Sure. Um, Talk about that a little more. Like, what do you... What so, do you like, mean? it's like the boat that has a hole in it, and you're sinking, and it's like, or at least we feel like we're sinking, yeah. and it's like... Uh, let's get someone to do that. Anyone, Quit. anyone. Anyone. Yeah, just anyone. Any hands up? No? Okay, now I'm going to preach a convicting sermon of which I will tell you you should be a children's worker. You know, yeah. it's like that kind of a... Well, we also, like, you just kind of hinted at, like, recruiting from the stage. You know? That, yep. And, and and the language we use in those moments often is like, this is a terrible, terrible job, but someone's got to do it. Yeah. How so dare how dare you guys not do this, Yeah. even though no one wants to do it, and it's terrible. Yeah. I we would talk about that a lot. Like, hey, let's not um, let's not try to recruit people out of guilt or recruit people in such a way that it makes them feel like they're jumping on the Titanic right before it's going down. Right. Because number one, it's not a good way of recruiting. You're or, not going to get anybody. Or even like we have, you know, there's a difference between. I, I remember talking to my friend Brandon recently, who's a pastor in Richmond, and he's saying when when they talk from the stage about people serving and stepping into roles of serving. The language they use is not like, we have something that we need you to do. It's more like, we have something for you. Yeah. Like, we, we really want to help you yeah. make a difference. Yep. And we want to help you discover. And I know like that, that can be manipulative if you don't actually mean it. Sure. And it can sound like it's just a different, um, just different shift in language. But language matters. Yeah. And so the tone with which you communicate stuff and the language with which you use, if you, I don't think there's... I don't think you can never talk from the stage about needs. I think you have to in some cases. Um, but I think there's a difference between an intentional, proactive, positive talking about serving opportunities on the stage as opposed to what you referenced earlier, which is like, um, hey, everyone, we got no one in the nursery today, so I guess the kids are going to be in here unless someone steps up. Yeah. And then it also puts you on dangerous ground, too, because when you're when you're driven by need, sometimes you don't do the you don't follow the right processes of making sure people are screened and trained properly, which is a whole other conversation. But, you know, so anyway, I interrupted you, but that no, is a, yeah, that's a big one. The, one of the, the need. One of the ways I would think about that is and I know this is going to shock you because of how much I like to talk. But I would my philosophy was like, 
eyes open over mouth open, you know? So instead of just shouting the need constantly, keep your eyes open for people who you think would be great in that role. Mm -hmm. And then have a conversation with them where I would say, Hey, you know, I've seen some things in you. I've, I've, I've noticed you're really good at this. I think you would be awesome on this team. And I think it'd be great for you. Yeah. That's so like, there's something about that. That's so inspiring and uplifting to people versus just a general announcement from the stage. Yeah. Cause it makes them feel like you're connecting their gifts, their talents to a mission that they can be a part of. So let's pause this kind of broader conversation and drill in on drill in on something. I think a lot of our listeners, this is one of the number one questions I would get from youth pastors and pastors when I was serving the network was uh, how do I build my, t- how do I recruit more leaders? Right. And so you kind of talked about um, eyes open, seeing the people around you. Yeah. And also, wouldn't you say that um, you have to be willing to see um, people that are to be surprised by how am I trying to say this? Sometimes I'll, I'll use a youth ministry example. Sometimes we think like there's a specific type of person that's a youth worker. Yeah. And they're 24 years old. They're super cool. They wear skinny jeans. They're awesome. They play an instrument. And we miss the opportunity to see the 50-year-old who will be a consistent father or mother-like presence yeah. in the room and also bring skill sets and perspective to the team. So part of recruiting people, too, is when you, when you, when you focus either just on need or either just on a specific type of subculture, personality you're trying to build, you, you rob people the opportunity of using their gifts in ways that maybe are surprising. Yeah, actually, I found, and you probably know this too, because you did youth ministry for a long time. Those kind of cool, like, oh, this is this is the mold of youth leader I want. Almost never work out as great leaders, <laughs> because they end up attracting a lot of students, but then they end up not only showing up once a month, right? You know, or or one of those issues. So, yeah, I uh, I'm totally with you. I think number one. Um, you do have to, you have to have standards. The standards are not the same though, as what you're talking about, which style, is right? style yeah. or, or creating a very specific mold and saying, you've got to fit into this. So I think if you define your expectations of here's what we want a leader to do, mm-hmm. that's, that's your foundation. That's what you stick to. And then you allow people, and it's not just different ages. It's also different personalities. Like one of the things that was cool for us as a, a youth team is my personal view was, and especially the larger your church gets or your ministry gets, is we have such a diverse group of students in here that have all sorts of different interests. We have kids that like sports. We have kids that are into video games. Yep. We have kids that are um, intellectuals and they're sure. the student. We have we have kids that are into anime and kids that are that think anime is the dorkiest thing in the world. We have musicians. We have all this diversity. I need leaders that are as diverse yep. in in who they are and their preferences as the students. And that is really hard because, number one, it can be hard to manage because oftentimes those people don't always get along. But, um, but I think it's important. And so for me, that was a big part of it is I would look for people that I thought would be good with students, could meet my requirements, but that also were very different than me. I wanted people that were into stuff that I wasn't into because I knew I was only going to reach a small sliver of yeah. students. So when it comes to recruiting leaders, don't don't think narrow. Don't eliminate people just because they don't look the part. Yeah. Don't do it from the stage. Do it in person. Like don't don't like I've heard it said if you if you recruit people in the hallway, they'll quit on you in the hallway. Like yeah. You know, have a conversation with them, have coffee with them, get a sense of who they are, stick to the processes and policies that your church has when it comes to on ramping. And then the other other thing I would say about recruiting leaders is there's a difference between recruiting with need and recruiting with vision. 
Yeah. Right. So coming up to somebody and say we we have a real need that might that might um, attract the type of person who likes to rescue and likes to fill needs, but that's not necessarily the type of person you always want in there. So instead of going to people and saying, here's what we need, will you do it? Be able to recruit with vision, say, here's what we're about. Here's where we're headed. Here's what we envision. This is the journey we're on. This is where we're going. Do you want to come with us? Yeah. And then help them to see how their gifts can fit in to getting us there. That's a very different ask, very different invitation. Totally. When it comes to recruiting leaders. So, um, Gift-based ministry goes beyond just recruiting based on need. It goes on uh, based on uh, where you actually, how has God actually wired you and made you, which leads us to the next point, which is how do we figure that out about other people? Yeah, this is, I I think this is a tough one. And the reason it's tough is because I think for some people, this is more intuitive than others. Hmm. Um, So what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is I think some people have the ability to easily look at others and see the potential okay. in them or see um, see where they would fit well, and other people maybe don't. That's not as easy. And that's a, again, that's an example of somebody having a specific gift that they should be using. Right. Yeah. The good news is if, you're, if that's not your gift, there are still tools you can use to help enlighten you as to where people are at so so what i hear you saying is some people because the way god has wired them almost don't need some of the tools that are out there all the but if but if you're not wired that way there are some really specific personality and i would say even if you're wired that way the tools are still really helpful yeah because they can just get you to think in in a different perspective well and they can also affirm in the other person what you already see right yeah because it's one thing for me to say to you like this is who you are I, I you know there are people who are I actually was just in a texting conversation with a friend before we were on here and I um, I asked him a couple a series a couple of questions and he replied he's like oh you're such an ENFJ it's like that's a real J thing to do <laughs> and um, I know what explain he, to people what that is oh sorry yeah that's just the personality sort of makeup um, myers-briggs. Um, for different categories. I'm no expert on it, but, you know, if you look up Myers-Briggs, if you're really curious about it, you can learn more. Yeah. But, you know, I know I'm an ENFJ because I've personally assessed that way multiple times. If I didn't know that and somebody was just telling me this is what you are, and some people have that gift because they're so well-versed in that world yep. and they're trained, but I need to kind of own that, right? I can't just have somebody telling me what I am. And so that's why that's in some cases, even if you have the gift to identify people's personalities and gifts and passions, having them discover it through use of a tool. Yeah. Helps them own it. The only thing I will say of this is um, the only, the only issue I would have is that I think sometimes, and this has happened in the past, um, people can, if you're not careful, allow yourself to be pigeonholed into mm. Well, this is just who I am. This is my strength. This is my weakness. And we don't allow ourselves to um, to continue to grow and to continue to rise, rise beyond that or see the potential in who we could be. And diminish the transforming power of the gospel. Right. And, and the Spirit. And that's the reality, right? The Holy Spirit is supernatural in its transformation of who we are. Yeah. And so that would be the only thing I would caution because I've had interactions where I would look at a young leader and be like, man, I really think this person has potential and I think they could do something amazing. And then other people are like, well, no, they're, they are this. And they label, kind of label them. And that label, although helpful in the moment, could also be a little bit crushing and stifling if you're not careful. So sure. that'd be my only yeah. warning. I agree. You know, I think there's that extreme. And then there's other extreme where you get some leaders who, who actually refuse to function in their gift. 
for whatever reason, they 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 um, covet a different type of personality that they don't actually have. They wish they were somebody else. Right, yeah. like you wishing you were like me. Like, mm. That's one example that comes to mind. You just, you just right. peered right into my heart. Right away. Um, so I think uh, there's definitely a healthy place to be with this conversation. Yeah. So, so there are things out there. There's different personality assessments. There's different things that you can do to be more self-aware and to know each other's gifts. Um, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I love about focusing on gift-based ministry is first off, when people are functioning in a place that aligns with their gifts, their personality, and their passion, they're going to be so effective in what they're doing and so energized by what they're doing. And if you're running a church or ministry where people are consistently burning out and quitting and trying to step out of ministry, there is a chance that they're not in the right spot, right? They're, they're functioning, they're serving, and there are a lot of quality people in churches who will just do the painful work week after week of serving somewhere they're not passionate about, and they're just going to keep doing it because they're good people, yeah. right? But we don't want people just to show up and serve because they feel like they have to. We, we really would, would love people to be passionate and excited about what they get to do because it's really helping them become... Um, the best version, so to speak, of themselves, fully alive, fully human, fully bearing God's image in a way that serves others. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think one of the questions that I would always often ask my leaders, like probably once a year, is be like, do you love what you're doing? Like, do you feel like you're walking in the mission of God? Do you find fulfillment? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's risky because you know there's a good chance, or not a good chance, but you know there's a chance they could say, not really. And then you have to be willing to go, where where would you yeah. like, you know? Um, but ultimately, I think our job is not to just run a ministry. Our job is to put people where they need to be. Yeah, leaders help other people become great leaders, right? Yeah. Leaders don't just attract followers. And I think some of what you're saying, as far as feeling that tension of the risk of having that conversation, is trusting God. That if if God wants that person serving and using their gifts in another place, and that means He has somebody else in mind to come in and serve where they were serving. Right. And one of the things that healthy churches believe, I think, is that the overall health of the church is more impor- more important than any one person's platform or position, which sometimes leads to some hard conversations. Because sometimes you have people, maybe you inherit a ministry or you inherit a church where somebody's serving out of need, but not out of gift. How do you approach that? How do you have that conversation? And a culture of gift-based ministry really empowers leaders to have loving, truthful conversations that direct people to an area where they actually can exercise their gift more uh, fruitfully. All right, so let's let's rest on this for a second because I think this is an important question. How do you deal with moving someone from a place they love but they're not good at or they're not gifted in? How do you move them to somewhere else? Yeah. Well, I don't think there's a, a formulaic answer here, right? Oh, what a sellout. I think there's a, a, a series of um, questions you have to ask about that person, about their maturity, about their about their effectiveness, um, about their giftedness, just kind of have a sense of what are they good at, where is their giftedness, and is there somebody that they're sort of blocking the path of that could be serving? Because, you know, there may be somebody who's serving in a role and you recognize they're not, like let's say somebody's a t- in a teaching role, they're an okay teacher, they're not a great teacher. Um, but you have no other teachers around. You could look at it two ways. You could say, well, let's just let them hold down the fort until we develop great teachers, or you could say the fact that they're there is preventing us from developing teachers because there's not or, this Or crisis. oftentimes there could be someone someone in the midst who you're not aware is a great teacher, and they don't rise to the surface because their assumption is, 
Yeah. There's no like I've seen that happen so many times where you think, oh, I don't know how we'd ever replace this person. And as soon as they do, God brings another person who's oftentimes been there in the midst. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this person is incredibly gifted. Like, you know, and you talk to them and they're like, oh, well, I just always assumed like, you know, you guys had somebody. And yeah, you know, I, th- I think I, three big thoughts on this one. It always has to be connected to your vision and your mission. Right. So the more that you can connect what you're doing to this is going to help us better accomplish our mission. That's important. It also needs to be rooted in your values. Like, what do you value? Do you value as a church gift-based ministry? Do you value empowering people to lead? And is it written out? And do people know it? Do you have a reference point to keep stirring, steering the conversation back to? Because when you don't have written values that communicate this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing, then everything feels personal and everything feels situational, right? Mm. And then the other thing is I think some changes, like some young leaders are just too aggressive, the right decision at the wrong time is the wrong decision. Yeah. And um, being in this, the role that I've been in 18 months, there's been some shifting and some changing at the church. And there's been some people who were serving in specific roles for years who are now either not serving in that role anymore or serving in that role, but in a slightly different environment, right? Yeah. And so for me, um, in a couple of the cases, it was a long process not just of me thinking about it, but of me inviting them into the conversation, regularly meeting with them, giving them the sense of, here's what my heart is. Here's where I think we're headed. Here's where I think it might take. Let's talk about it a little bit. Let me get a sense of what your passion is. Because sometimes also our perspective of what people are passionate about is wrong. They're not passionate about it anymore. They're yeah. doing it because they've always been asked to do and it. And they feel guilty about Exactly. Yeah. So I think um, uh, that that's a part is like actually having the conversation with them but then helping them see, like, at the end of the day, no one person is more important than the whole church. And if we believe that this is the most effective way to accomplish our mission, in our case of making disciples, then we're going to go that direction. And we're going to find other places for them to serve. We're going to honor them. You know, we're going to be grateful and thankful. And it's the mentality sometimes, too, within churches when it comes to navigating changes we have to create a culture where people are comfortable with the thought that what got us here won't get us there. Yep. And it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't invalidate what got us here. We have to be so thankful for what got us here, but realize at the same time, it's not necessarily going to get us there. And, and even theologically teaching on how God is a God of change and a God on the move and a God who doesn't do things the same way over and over. He's not yeah. a firm, formulaic God. He's a personal God. And the Spirit wants to lead us, and if he was a formulaic God, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to lead us. So there's, there's so many layers to creating a culture theologically, um, functionally, value-driven, as far as creating this culture that can actually sustain this idea of moving people out of certain ministries because the gift just isn't there. And, and celebrating when people develop and raise up and hand off ministries to other people who are gifted. Yeah, this is one area I think— you and I are a little different in our personality makeup is you are far more empathetic than I am. Yeah. I'm Uh, a feeler. You're You're a feeler. Yeah. Right. I'm not as much of a feeler. I'm not high on empathy. So what that means is when you're making a decision and both, by the way, both can be good and Mm -hmm. both can be bad. Yep. And so for me, how it can be bad is I can see a situation and go, this person's in the wrong seat. We need to move another person in the right seat. 
But because I'm not um, thinking through how they're, how it's going to impact them, how they're going to feel, I can be quick to make a decision because I just know in my heart it's the right decision. And then there ends up being all kinds of fallout, which could have been avoided by just maybe some uh, better tactics or different timing. Um, and so, but for you or someone who is high on empathy, it can be really hard to make those tough decisions yeah. because you're constantly thinking, Oh, I know what this, I know what it's going to feel like. Like my wife is very empathetic. So she'll literally feel like I can feel what this person is going to feel, mm -hmm. which can handicap you sometimes mm -hmm. because it'll prevent you from making the right decision because you just like, you're so much feeling their feelings. Yeah. Although if it's used wisely, it can help you navigate a healthy transition, a healthy, um, a healthy change because you're not just cutthroat. Like let's get in there and clean shop. And I think a big part of the conversation, and I agree with everything you just said, um, and that's why we need leadership teams to think through things and not just people isolated making decisions. Um, and I, I probably, so knowing that I'm a little risk adverse and a little slower on stuff like that, especially when there's potential relational fallout, um, I need people around me who are pushing me a little bit and saying, yeah, I know this is going to be a hard conversation, but like, bro, there's a lot at stake beyond the uncomfortable nature of the conversation. There's yeah. bigger things at stake. And then other people who are wired more like you need me saying, hey, have you thought about what they're going to, what what they feel like they're going to lose in this process, yeah. right? So, so much of change management and change implementation is understanding the perceived loss, whether it's just perceived or whether it's real. Right. So that's got to be part of the conversation too, is kind of people saying, I, I recognize that this is a place that you've served for 20 years. You may feel like, this change is invalidating your years of ministry or like you're going to lose your place in the church. But I envision you serving in other places in ways that are going to really help us move forward. And so being able to have that conversation. So, you know, that is part, though, if, like, if you're committed to having gift-based ministry in your local church, you also are committed to having some hard conversations. And eventually what you do is once, you know, those hard conversations tend to be with people who kind of you've inherited or have already been in place. But now what you do so that you don't have to keep having those conversations in the future is you create some strong filters on the front end and an ongoing evaluation process that's in place, not reactive, but proactive. Every year we're going to sit with our key leaders and kind of look at what they're doing and, and make sure that they're still functioning in their gifts and, and even ask them a question like, who are you raising up to take your role? Yeah. Like, you know, churches are fluid. People get, people move, people get new jobs, people retire. So you know, gift-based ministry mentality says, who else has the same gift you have mm. and how are you pouring into them? So one, one kind of thing I wanted to touch on to get your thoughts on this, we haven't talked about this, but one of the things I used to talk about is the idea that um, your gifts are not a substitute for your mission. And what I mean by that is oftentimes I think in, in church, people, um, people say, well, I'm gifted at singing or or I'm gifted at greeting, so therefore that's my mission. Instead of the biblical mentality, mm. my mission is to make disciples. Yeah, like we all at the end of the day, no matter what you're gifted at, that that is the biblical commission for us. That that is what our mission is. Your gifts are a enhancement of that. They're a help to that. But I I think I'd love to get your thoughts. What is the danger when we we assume that my mission is just to do the things I'm good at. Yeah. Well, I think your gifts function your your gifts function as a tool to help you live on mission. So let's take the one about singing, right? 
So, you know, one of the things we've talked about in the past on this podcast are different disciple-making environments. So on a Sunday morning, the gift of singing, that is a disciple-making environment, and you're using the gift of singing as to function to strengthen that environment. So um, how do you use the gift of singing in other parts of your life to help you live on mission? Maybe you're part of a local, you know, choir. Maybe you teach. Maybe you... I don't know, go caroling. I mean, I, I don't know, but you find ways to use your I'm gift. I'm down if you are this year. <laughs> you find ways to use your gift to live on mission. So I, I agree generally with what you're saying, although I don't necessarily see it. I don't think you were necessarily saying this, but I want to make sure our listeners hear this. I don't see it as a dichotomy, like there's a gift you use and then there's the mission. I think the gift and the mission align. Sure. But when the, when the gift becomes more important than the mission or it becomes a substitute for the mission— then I think you've missed the whole point. Yeah, God gives us spiritual gifts basically so that we can strengthen one another, and that we can um, we can accomplish His work, you know, in, in in His kingdom, and that's that's His mission of making disciples. And so, whatever your gift is—the gift of hospitality, the gift of leadership, um, the gift of mercy—and um, and there's also maybe a difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents in some cases too. Although I know, like, it's hard to know because. The list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament were not meant to be exhaustive, so like it's 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 a little bit of a difficult conversation to navigate. But there's different ways that you can use your gifts always for the mission of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I I totally agree with what you're saying. I think my only concern is that sometimes people, um, you know, because we've been using this, let's say someone who's a, a singer on a worship team, they can spend all of their time being a part of a worship team. And in their mind, that is the totality of, you know, how are you making disciples? Oh, well, I'm, I sing on a worship team. And that's, that's phenomenal. But I do think every person can have personal relationships with other people. Everybody can be discipling somebody. And sometimes if we just substitute our gift for making disciples and we think, well, that's the pastor's job. My, I sing. Um, I think we sell ourselves short, and ultimately, um, the gift is there to to help enhance the disciple making environment. and And so, I just think that that has to be a part of your culture too. Yeah. To say the gifts are not the ultimate in this church; the ultimate totally, is yeah. making disciples. Yeah. The more I'm hearing you saying it, the more I'm like, yeah, I hundred percent am on board. In fact, one of the things that we're talking currently with the leadership of the church right now is that why are you a leader? Why do you hold the position that you serve in? It's not because X, Y, and Z. It's like, how do I measure um, the effectiveness and the success of one of my leaders? And ultimately, it's going to be, are you making disciples? Mm. So if you're not making disciples, then I don't know why you're, why why would you be a leader in our church? That's yeah. our mission. Like, if you can't live out our mission, then what's the point of leading a ministry? Right. So you, there are people in churches who lead programs and ministries very effectively. They run great um, programs, but... And, and, of course, those programs should be disciple-making environments. But there's no evidence that in their actual life that they're investing in people. And if you're running a ministry, I think your primary responsibility ultimately is to disciple the leaders underneath you. So I, I do think that's an important part of the conversation. All right. Well, we're going to move on to uh, David's Eats, our favorite portion. If you're a new listener, this is uh, where we get to hear about one of David's favorite things he's eaten recently. And I've got a question for you. You know, summer's here. Uh, we did a little new tradition this year for our 4th of July. We did a uh, clam bake. Really? Yeah. 
we said uh, we said we're you going had all family out. in town, right? We had family and my parents and my sister and her family do, was in town. Did you cook the clams on a grill or did you? Put no, them we on did a it pot? in a in a clam bake pot. We did lobster, yeah. shrimp, clams, mussels, sausages, and corn and potatoes, bro. And then we, uh, I laid down paper on the table. We yeah. dumped we dumped that sucker out right there. That's tricky because they all cook it different. Yeah, you got It was a little challenging, but if you stack them right, and yeah. then so anyway, so it made me think. Okay, I wonder since we had a seafood inspired Fourth of July, what is David's favorite seafood? Oh, oh gosh, this is sushi seafood. I guess it technically is. <laughs> uh, let's let's put not sushi, really. Let's put sushi in its let's put sushi in its own category. That's its own category. For let's sure. put let's just put Asian seafood in its own category, right? Because there's a Korean dish I love that has monkfish in it. But as far as like what you would think of like an American seafood experience, yeah, it's lobster. I mean, mm. there's no doubt about it. It's lobster. Although I've had some, I have had some crabs that are sweeter than lobster. Uh, but it's. I, I mean, I know you're a scallop guy too. I do love a scallop. Yeah. But if I had to choose between scallops and lobsters, and someone else was paying, I would choose lobster. <laughs> someone the key to that someone else is paying. Bro, I could eat so much lobster. Yeah. I mean, I just love the sweetness of it, dipped in butter. And uh, in fact, we did that last year. Remember at my house, we had you over, and that's right. We did lobsters off back, and your wife showed us how to get meat out of that lobster in ways that we never thought were possible. She, She's unbelievable. No one, no one takes longer to eat a lobster than her. Yeah, but she gets every she gets ounce every of meat. She gets her money's worth. She does, bro. Now I'm thinking about lobster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lobster is my favorite. I do love scallops. I, I like all seafood, but unlike probably a lot of our listeners, I'm not actually a fried seafood guy. Hmm. Um, I much prefer it uh, pan seared or broiled or something. I just don't care very much about fried. Uh, to me, the fry kind of buries the taste. Yeah. Hey, listen, everybody, if you're listening, you know, treat yourself, go get yourself a lobster. Yeah. Just, just live large today. Yeah. They're easier to make than you think they are. Right. Right. I couldn't believe how easy they were to cook. Absolutely. And so. you, wherever you get it, you tell them, it's on the Multiply Podcast. Yeah. Tell them we sent you. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.